What does a policeman, Madame Zazu, and an owner boutique have in common? If you think about it, in the book of Philippians, we're going to find that there was a little girl, young girl, that was being used to, um, as a fortune teller. Also, at the same time, you're going to have a jailer, a guard, and then you're going to have somebody, a rich lady that is making clothes for other rich people. And in the midst of that, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to appear. We find this in the book of Philippians, yes, but particularly, we're going to go first to the book of Acts. And before we go there, Acts 16, if you want to go, please open your Bibles there, although we're going to just read through it little by little. Here's the story of how the Lord brought the, in the city of Philippi, the first church, the church in Philippi, the first church in Macedonia, the first church in what we know today as Europe. It's interesting, huh? Because now we cannot even understand, we cannot even conceive Christianity without having been through first Europe and then the United States. But this is in, in Philippi is where we're going to find the first time, for the first time, how the gospel penetrated and was started in Europe and Philippi. In the book of Acts 16, it describes how Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra. Let's go there. And what we see, the first convert in Europe, according to this, is a 16.1. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken by the brethren who were there in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because, the Jew, because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. Then they passed, verse 6, then they passed through Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and after they came to Mysia, and they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them, and passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia, to Paul in the night, uh, was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought out to Macedonia, including uh, that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So it's interesting because if you notice, in verse 10, it changes from 
Paul and Timothy and all that. And then he says, when we, when he had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia. So who else is going besides Timothy, Paul, and Silas? This is the second missionary journey. The second missionary journey is headed by Paul and Silas. And now we have, an, they pick up another guy. His name is Timothy. I'm sure that pretty much you've heard of him. And now there's a we in here who's the author of the book of Acts. Look. So at least we have four very important and distinguished people from the first century, from believers from the most important time of the church probably. And they're traveling together. And the Holy Spirit says, no. What? I thought the Holy Spirit was supposed to say yes. When people gather together and they pray and they fast and they move forward, the Holy Spirit was supposed to say yes. Well, he's not saying, he's not saying no to Asia. It's just he has different plans for Macedonia. And in the midst of this, while they're trying to go from Lystra to uh, Mysia and from one place to another, the Lord keeps saying no, no, no. Until he, has, see, he says yes in a very unique way. Paul has a vision. A man from Macedonia. Now, I had some pictures here, but you could understand. If you have seen some Greek pictures or something like that, or even um, uh, statues from the first century, they didn't look a lot alike. They didn't look a lot very different, you know. They look a lot alike. But in their and the way they use their garments, and even in the way they use certain hats, somehow in the way maybe the accent of the person led Paul to believe that this person that he has a vision of is a person from Macedonia. Now, where is Macedonia? Macedonia is the end is the entrance of Europe coming from Asia Minor into Europe, and Philippi was a very important city in eastern Macedonia, northeastern Greece. It was by a river, which we're going to see eventually. Philippi owed this imp owed its importance to, in ancient times to a strategic bridge between Europe and Asia Minor. And in Paul's day, the important Roman road known as the Via, Via Ignatia ran through uh, Philippi. See, it was also important because there were some gold mines right next to, in the mountains around the city of Philippi. Also, if you have heard the name Philip, Philip II, actually, the father of Alexander the Great, this is Philip. And in 346 B.C., he took over this region, and he celebrated the name change by changing it from what it used to be called the Crenides, the Crenides, the small, mount, the, the small fountains, to Philippi, the city of Philip. Hmm. How dare he? Who is he? Who does he think he is? You know, this only happens in Central America when people from Europe come. This only happens in Mexico when people from Europe come. It only happened in South America. What? Oh, it didn't happen in the U.S.? That all of a sudden you come and you claim something and you change the name and all that? 
Even the place where we are today used to be called San Felipe. Therefore, we are part of San Felipe Baptist Association. You know that? So Yeah, we change names and we claim it. Just like Philip did back in 356 B.C. Now, the thing is that then the, the Greek Empire began to grow. And then the Romans took over. And once the Romans took over, then for a hundred years, Philippi was nothing. It wasn't really named after anything. Nothing important happened in Philippi. Except that in 42 B.C., it became the site of one of the most important battles in Roman history. At the Battle of Philippi, the forces of Anthony and Octavian, named in the Bible in Luke 2.1 as Caesar Augustus, defeated the Republican forces of Brutus and Cassius. The battle marked the end of the Roman Republic and began a new phase in the empire. The Senate declared Octavian the emperor in 29 B.C., and part of it was the huge defeat that happened here in Philippi. Therefore, the city was granted um, uh, the, the title of a colony, which meant that they were, they were going to be autonomous to a degree, but anybody that was going to be born in that city was going to be granted automatically Roman citizenship. So obviously many people wanted to go there. Hmm, sounds familiar. Many people wanted to cross the borders to have their children be born there so that they would be granted Roman citizenship. Taxes were condoned. And they adopted Roman architecture, Roman style and dress, coins, Roman inscriptions, and even Latin as the city's official language, although Greek was also a very important. So here in Acts 16, once Paul understands through the vision of the Macedonian men and the Macedonian man that he's supposed to move from Lystra to Derby to all the other parts that are named here in Acts 16, after he understands that he is supposed to go to Macedonia, he's going to go to the most important city available to him. And this is the thing. As I, as I mentioned before, the city was strategic because it was the bridge between Europe and Asia Minor. So God makes no mistakes when he places a church in a strategic location like Westheimer and Sinkerange. God makes no mistakes, my dear brothers and sisters. We are probably in one of the most important crossroads in all of Katy, Texas. And God is going to hold us accountable for what we did with this place. And it's not up to us to decide the size of the church. It's up to the Lord of the church to decide who comes in, who gets saved, and how do we go out and reach out to them because there's a reality People without the Lord Jesus Christ are going to face an eternity without Him in a place of torment. And rest assured, God will hold accountable any church that He plays in Westheimer and Sinker Ranch. So we have a responsibility today, just like the people in Philippi. 
So after he understands this vision, he goes there, and it's amazing. You know, there's this river, and uh, he understands Paul, Timothy, Luke, and the others. They understand that there's probably not 10 men, 10 Jewish men in this whole place. Because if they would have been 10 Jewish men, then there would have been what? A synagogue. But there's no synagogue available. And if you have seen the way the Apostle Paul moved to be able to bridge the gospel, he would go to a place called the synagogue where at least 10 Jewish faithful men would come together and establish a synagogue for the honor of the Lord. But there was no synagogue available to them in Philippi. The only place that there were was by the river. There were a few women that gathered there to pray. And there go the disciple, this disciple, so that he could pray with the ladies. According to the Bible, what we read here in Acts 16 is that uh, a woman named Lydia from the city of Tiathera, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to all the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, staying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And he prevailed upon us. After that, the Bible says that they were in the plaza and one of the girls, there was a girl that started yelling that these guys, these men are sent by the Lord. Which promptly the, uh, the apostle turns around and rebukes the spirit because he, has not, he doesn't want anything to do with an unclean spirit. He rebukes the spirit. The spirit leaves the girl. And then the owners of the girl, because she was a slave, lose their means of income. And they rile all the people, and they put Paul and Silas in jail. We don't know about the others, but at least Paul and Silas in jail after they were beaten. And what are they doing in jail while they are in jail? Well, they're in prison. The Bible says that they were worshiping. Huh. Huh. What do you do when the Lord changes your plans? You want to go to Asia, and the Lord sends you to Europe. You want to preach the gospel and they're all sent you to prison. I would be pretty disgruntled. I would be pretty unhappy. How dare you, Lord, change my plans? All I wanted was for you to bless my plan. Here's my plan. Blessed Lord, I'd already thought it through. It's a very good plan. I guarantee you. I, you know, as a matter of fact, you don't even have to read it. Trust me on that. Just bless it. And it'll be done. And the Lord dares to say, uh-uh, I have different plans. You've heard the say, and I don't like it. And I like it every time that he changes my plans, I like it even less. If you want to see the Lord laugh, tell him your plans. Well, the Lord is changing the plans of the apostle once again, but it's for the glory of God. Because Paul might have thought of Asia... You might have thought of wonderful things happening, right, during 2020 and 2021, but the Lord had different plans. And we had to say, I submit. Can you say that? I submit. Your plan is better than my plan. 
So as we are about to enter this beautiful letter, then not only this happens there, that they're worshiping the Lord, they are in jail, they're in the uttermost part, and if you have seen jails from that century, it was nothing like being in a jail nowadays, where, the cost, uh, where it costs more to have a prisoner for us, right? Because they have better, sometimes they have better um, health care, Sometimes they have better food. Sometimes they have better care in many ways. Not as such in the first century. Many people is described that they would get even gangrene because of the shackles that they were in. And because they couldn't go to the bathroom anywhere else, you get the picture. And then that oxid, it would be oxidated all around and then it would be putrid and many of them would die of disease just because they couldn't get their shackles off and they didn't have water to wash off that's where my apostle is i dare those that preach the gospel of prosperity to take a look at this chapter so here they are they're singing they're worshiping they're and there's somebody that is listening, a jailer. And all of a sudden, there's an earthquake. And the, the doors are open. And this jailer thinks, oh, my word, everybody escaped. I'm going to die. I'm gonna, I'd rather kill myself than be flagged or crucified or tortured till death. So he decides to take his life. While all of a sudden, from inside the jail, Paul, Paul screams, don't do anything to yourself. We are. Everybody is here. Next thing that he comes, he says, What must I do to be saved? Beautiful. Because he has heard what they are saying. Now he has seen what they are living, the way they are living. And because of it, he believes. So, here it is. I've been in many places where they tell me, you know, this is the way that you're gonna, we're going to grow a church. You need 10 families that are better if they're wealthy because that way they could give their tithes, preferably if they are already Christian. That way they could tithe already. And then you could assure that you're going to have an income. And then uh, you're going to organize them in ways so that you could have children director and youth director and administrator, blah, 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 blah. And that's the way that we do church nowadays. How about starting with Madame Zazu, or former Madame Zazu, a fortune teller, a jailer, a policeman, and a Louis Vuitton seller, or Gucci, whatever you like. And that is the beginning of your church. We might have ideas of how to start church but God, his, his ways are better than our ways. Amen? And when he says, no, 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 I don't want you to go to the right. I want you to go to the left. He's not talking about politically. He's talking about geographically, okay? Don't go to Asia. Go to Europe. And you're not going to go there. You're going to go to jail. And now the people are seeing this and they are believing. And that's the birth of a church in Philippi. 
Now, some of you are going to say, wow, that was a long introduction. Well, guess what? There's another introduction today. First introduction was to the book itself of Philippi, the, the book of Philippians. The second one is to the, the uh, section that we'll be, we'll be studying right now, Philippians 1, 1 through 11. And for this introduction, let me tell you, um, teacher Alicia in seventh grade came to us in Mexico City and said, how do you do? And we're like, huh? Yeah, how do you do? Because she was from, she, even though she was Mexican, she uh, went to a school, to a British school, to learn English. So when she would say, how do you do? We had to answer, fine, thank you. And you? And then I come to America in, 2000, in, in 1998, after we got married. And I started encountering people here in Texas, and I would say, how do you do? <laughs> and people would say, ha. And I thought, wow, that's nothing like Maestra Alicia. She didn't prepare me for, the, for that. I was prepared for the, how do you do? Fine, thank you. And you? <laughs> you know, text, email have changed the way that we write letters now, Right? Because it used to be, and I remember reading some of the, tomorrow is going to be Memorial Day. And one of the things that I love doing is reading about Second World War. Some of those letters, especially after D-Day, when Commander Eisenhower had to sign thousands and thousands of letters communicating to fellow Americans that their loved ones have died. And the way those letters were written are heart-wrenching. Because they begin by addressing the person, dear so-and-so. It is a great honor for me to write to you. And in behalf of our nation, we want to thank you for the sacrifice that you have paid by the events that happened in Normandy or anywhere it was. So-and-so died valiantly in the battlefield in France. Thank you for paying the, utter, the, the uttermost price. Yours truly, General Eisenhower. We don't write like that anymore. We are American. We don't have time for that. We go to the point. Hey, y'all. This is what you need to do. Bye. And if you have more time, still I would write it the same way. Not in the first century. In the first century, he's going to address the audience. He's going to be very polite, but also he's going to plead to them that there are certain things that they need to do. So he says, how do you do? To all the believers in Philippi. And he he's going to tell them that he's, gonna, he's very thankful for them, that he's praying for them. And we're going to see the who, the when, the how, the why, and the what. Wow, all that, Antonio? Yep. Because we don't have another service, so you're stuck with me. Ha, no. I'll rush through, don't worry. So the who. He's thinking and pr thinking and praying for the 
church, for the saints, for the leaders in general. And he's going to tell them that he prays and thinks constantly the when, the how, out of love, out of joy, in a joyful manner, out of gratitude, the why, because they have been blessed to, uh, uh, they have been a blessing to him in person, but also they have blessed him in trials, like he's now in jail. And to fulfill God's purpose, the what, by practicing the word, by being filled with love, by discerning wisely and giving fruit. So without further ado, we'll begin Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. But just before that, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful today for your love, for your care for us. And Father, as we read this, that the, the apostle is very thankful because of the leaders in the church, the elders, the deacons, and every single saint in that church. Our hearts go out to Pastor Mitch. We pray for healing we know in our minds, we have seen it in your scriptures, we even have seen it in other people. <clears throat> How is that you are able to heal because you are Jehovah Rapha? You are the one that heals our wounds. So we beg to you, as we are thanking for, we're very thankful for Pastor Mitch, and we're very thankful for our elders, and we're praying for Pastor Mitch, and we're praying for our elders, and for all our church. Be with us today. Open our hearts so that we could welcome your scripture into our lives, so that we could be transformed, so that we could be thankful for one another and praying for one another. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a blessing in changing direction, that direction when it comes guided by our Lord. And that was the case in the church of Philippi. A church that was birthed out of the Lord saying, no, 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 yes. And now we are here. Ten years later, the Apostle Paul has finished his second missionary journey. He's already been in, going on to the second missionary, third missionary journey. And in one of his, trial, in one of his travels, he's, he ends up, most of the um, scholars agree, that he's going to end up now in Rome after ten years of the church being started the church in Philippi, he's now in jail. And what we understand is that the church in Philippi has gathered an offering. They, they encommended one, uh, uh, one of the members in the church, Epaphroditus, to take this offering to him in prison. So they're not thinking, oh, he's going to have money, he's going to have food, he's going to have shelter, he doesn't need anything from us. No, they know that he needs. And at the same time, when, as we are going to read this part, Epaphroditus gets sick, and Paul writes a letter, and he sends him back so that the brethren would be rejoicing in welcoming back Epaphroditus. And he gives that letter, and then that letter is going to be read. This letter that we're, writing, we're reading right now is going to be read to everyone. And this is what they read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, 
bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the end of the how do you do. That's the end of the um, opening statement of greeting. And now he begins the body of the letter. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering praying with joy in my every prayer for you all, for y'all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 6 in itself could be a sermon in itself. Amen? The assurance that the Lord, He who began the work in you, He who began the work in me, He will see it to fruition because He is sovereign of your life and my life. And even those moments where things don't go according to what you were expecting, He is working He's doing something beautiful in you for your honor. No, for his honor and his glory. He knows what he's doing. Can you trust him? Because verse 6 says that I can trust him because he is working his plan in me. Even if he says no, even if he says no, finally he says yes, he is working his plan In us. Verse 7. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I have you in my heart. Since both of my imprisonment and in my defense. In confirmation of the gospel. You are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness. Oh my word. You know one thing is to say. I'll be praying for you. You know I have a problem. Oh I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying for you. But then to say, God is my witness that I will be praying for you, that I will take care of you, that every single day I will kneel before the Lord so that he could accomplish his will in you. Can you say that really for somebody that is not part of your family? I mean, I promised some of you that I, had, that I was going to be praying, and I've been praying for many of you. And you know who, right? But then there's other people that I have said, I'll be praying for you and sometimes I forget. Not the Apostle Paul. He says, God is my witness. Continue in verse 8. How I long for you all with the, affect with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in discernment. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's the small section that we will be examining today for the, God, for the glory of our Lord. So he's thinking and he's praying For them, And he says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ. First of all, he begins to addressing himself and 
Timothy as bondservants, as slaves. And slaves have no say in what the master has to say. Whatever the master orders, the servant should obey. That's very anti-American, Antonio. I don't like that. Because we're about freedom. Except that the apostle is saying, before that he, he in, and in other three letters, before he even says that he is an apostle, he identifies himself, first of all, as a servant of the Lord. Are we? Are we servants of the Lord? Whatever he says is fine. Whatever he, say, he says goes. It's important for the next part. Bond servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ. So he's thanking and praying for the church, for all the servants, all the, uh, the saints, I'm sorry, for all the saints, because it says here, to all the saints. He's writing not only to the top. You know, um, when, when I used to be part of the traditional religion in Mexico, and I would go to the leader and say, hey, the Bible says. He would say, yeah, but that's not what somebody in the other part in Europe has told us. You, you are not free to think. Whatever they say in Rome, you ought to believe without even hesitating. I was like, okay. But then I started reading, and I noticed that in Acts 17, 11, it says that the Bereans were a lot more noble-hearted because they would investigate, they would examine the Scripture to see if, this were, if these things were as such. It is interesting because according to certain traditions, saints are those that are perfect. Saints are those that have lived such a life that then all the church have gotten together and they have elevated them to the position of beatification, whatever that means, almost saint. And then after realizing or after performing certain kind of miracles, after five years, then they're elevated to sainthood. Don't you love that the Apostle Paul says that those that live in Philippi, uh, immature as they were, we're already saints. I am sanctified. I've been set apart by the Lord for a purpose. I just don't understand how could an atheist could live in this life, could live here. Because if there is no God, then there is no purpose. There's no reason for us to even live here. It means that we are just alive here for maybe 70, 90, 110 years. And then we're going to die and that's the end of it. No hope. Whatever you did, well, good for you. Whatever you didn't do, hey, who cares? But don't you love that the Lord has set us apart because there is a God that has a purpose for our lives. And he who he began the good work, he will see it to fruition. So I can trust him. And he calls me a saint. Mm, I'm no saint. Well, I'm no saint in the sense of sometimes I sin. 
but I am sanctified in the sense that the Lord has set me apart because he's, he has a purpose for my life. Look around. The Lord has a purpose for everybody that is around here, for every person. So we pray. In this case, we pray for, and he's thankful. Thank God, in my remembrance of you, always offering prayers with joy in my every prayer for you all. For whom? For the saints. But also, look at verse 1. Not only to the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi, including who? The overseers, that's the elders, and the deacons. So he's including all the church, but also the elders and the deacons. Are you thankful for our leaders? And some of us would say, well, most days. No, 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 really. Are we thankful for the godly leaders that the Lord has given us. I'm telling you one thing. Maybe there's a couple of things that you might disagree in some decisions we make. Maybe, you know. Just maybe. A thought. But I'm here to tell you that one thing that I don't doubt is their spirituality. And their commitment to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So you might not agree with some of the decisions that are made. But I'm here to tell you that I vouch for their character and their love for our Lord and Savior. And that was a really good part for an amen. So I'm going to repeat it, you know. Amen. I'm a witness that they really love the Lord. And they mean well when they try to do three things. To direct our church, to discipline those are are out of line, to disciple. They mean well, my dear brothers and sisters. And for that, we need to be thankful, but also we need to pray. So not only he's praying for the believers, for all the saints, he's also praying for the leaders. And there's a couple of thoughts in here. Elders are the overseers, and they also need to serve by, by director dis discipline and, and by taking care of the doctrine. According to Hebrews 13, 17, it says that we are commanded to obey our leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they may do this with joy, not groaning, for this would be unhe unhelpful to you. What is unhelpful to you? Not to submit to them. Our pastor, who is the presbuteroi as well, an elder, needs our prayers always. But at this time, we are here and we need to show him, Mitch Mayer, Tara, Macy, Molly, and Maddie, how much we love and appreciate them. How much we care for them. How much their involvement in our lives and how much their investment in our lives means to all of us. You know, Macy, Molly, and Maddie didn't ask to be PKs. What's that? Pastor's kids. They didn't ask for that. They didn't have a vote, you know. How dare you? How dare you? 
You know, how come? Well, you know, you didn't choose the color of your skin. You didn't choose the height. You didn't choose certain things, even the family you were born into. What makes you think that all of a sudden God stops making decisions for you just because you are born now? Yet at the same time, we need to pray for also the children of those elders. Because just like a pastor, their kids didn't ask to be EKs, elder kids. And we need to pray for them on a regular basis, that they will grow to love the Lord. And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this carefully, but uh, very recently there was a convention of MKs. Wow, how many Ks are there around? MKs are missionary kids. There was a bunch of missionary kids that gathered together, and they said, you know, if it wasn't for the Lord, I would walk away from the church. Why? Because of how many times the church has been mean to my dad. Many of the children, the MKs, said. I think that we need to be very thankful for the elders. And we need to let them know how much we appreciate them. Sometimes it's six hours a month. Sometimes it's 12 hours a month. What they, de they dedicate on a Monday night or a Saturday morning. For the well-being of this church. Again. Because they will give an account. They are directing the church. They are disciplining the church. And then they care of the doctrine. So of course we are, according to the scripture, we are to submit to them. But we are to pray for them according to what even Paul is saying. I know we live in America, the land of the free. I know we appreciate our freedom. Tomorrow we're celebrating Memorial Day. And we're thankful for those who gave their lives for us to live free. But does being an American gives me a different set of rules? Or does the Lord, the Lord of all, creator of all, is expecting me to submit to my authorities, my elders? Some would say, well, not blindly. I would invite you to go back to Hebrews 13, 17, and you would come to your own conclusions. Are you thankful for our elders in these times of trial. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for those who have played a big role in my life as a Christian. People like Daniel Rodriguez, like Julio Munoz, my brother, like Ambrosio Moreno, Gabriel Alfaro, John Cochran, and in recent years, Mitch Mayer, and all the elders and deacons in this church. Paul is naming two specific roles in the church of the Lord, elders and overseers, deacons. And we have deacons in this church as well. We need to pray for them that they will serve the Lord joyfully. Families is who we pray for as well because saints include families. And I will continue later on. But then that's the who we pray for. And we need to go to the when. When do we pray for them? Verse 3. I thank my Lord in all my remembrance of you. Verse 4. Always. Do we pray all the time for the saints, for each other? Do we really pray, as he says in 1 first, in Thessalonians, praise without, pray without ceasing? Is prayer one of the distinguished elements from Redeemer Community Church? Is it? 
Because according to what he says here, we ought to pray always. For whom? For all the saints, for all the elders, for all the deacons, for every single one of us. Are we doing it? The when is every day and every moment. Because it says here, always offer in prayer with joy in my what? In my every prayer for you all. Not only every day, but in every prayer. He's constantly praying for one another. How? How is that he's doing this? Verse 4, always offering prayer with joy in my... So it's out of love and joy. Love is the supreme virtue. The ultimate fruit that encompasses all the virtues. It's more important than speaking prophecy. It's more important than speaking in tongues according to 1 Corinthians 13. Than understanding deep theological concepts. Sacrificial generosity and even martyrdom. Paul explains that practicing all of the above without love is empty. He also explains in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act inappropriately. It does not seek its own benefit. It is not provoked. It does not make a long list of wrongdoings against the other person. It does not rejoice in ungodliness, but rejoices in truth. Supports all, supports all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. And the greatest is love. Greater even than faith and hope. Wow, there's a lot that we need to learn, right? We have to love in a way that reflects the character of God and the love of Jesus Christ. Love that is not easy. And on top of that, joyfully, because it says, verse 4, always offering prayer with joy. Come on, really? Where is Paul? Paul is in jail. He's been there probably for three months by now in Rome. He doesn't know what's going to happen later on. Now, we know that he was released. He was able to write at least five more letters, at least. And then he goes back to jail and is decapitated at the end of that. But he doesn't know that that's going to happen. He probably is thinking that he might go to jail and die. And still, in the, middle, in the midst of uncertainty, the way that he's praying is how? joyfully with joy but what is this joy verse 6 where does that joy come from for i am confident on this very thing that he who being a good work in you will perfect it until the day of the lord jesus christ see this you that is talking about here is not you only them he's talking also about himself it's a royal kind of you he who begins a work in all of us, he will see it to fruition. He will see it to conclusion until he fulfills his perfect plan for our lives. That's where the joy comes from. I firmly believe that the difference between joy and happiness is how we respond to circumstances. Happiness depends on the circumstances. New car. New house, a great job, a great boss. 
a great marriage, new boyfriend or new girlfriend, loving children, thankful children. But true spiritual joy is in spite of circumstances. An old car that keeps getting to the shop, a difficult boss in a joyless job, a difficult marriage with not so much hope, and not very loving and appreciated children. In spite of this, we could have joy in the Lord because we know that He's in control and He will, com com he will finish His job in me. Can I have a witness here? Amen. That every sickness, that every trial, even the most difficult circumstances that you are facing right now, we could find the joy for praying that the Lord will continue to do His mighty work in us because He doesn't depend on us. It depends on His power. It depends on His ability to transform lives and to guide us to a future that is His decision, not mine. And God's people say, Amen. Because his, that's how we could pray joyfully. That he will finish his work in us. You know, Becky's married to a sinner. Pray for her. Amen, Amen right? <laughs> Becky really is married to a sinner. And, uh, but guess what? I am too. And that's what this book is called, When Two Sinners Say, I Do. It's a great book, by the way. And that's what we need to pray constantly, that the Lord would continue to work in the person that I have next to me. And I don't know who's next to you right now. Just look around. And if we are to pray for one another, if we are to pray for all the saints, it includes the one that you have to, to your right, to your left, in front, and behind so why don't we commit right now to pray for whoever is around you. May the Lord would continue His work in this person for the honor of the glory of the Lord. But why? Why do I need to pray for that, Antonio? My life is too busy. I don't have time to pray. Well, there's another book, right? Too busy not to pray. Too busy not to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray every day. But why? In the case of Paul, he's very thankful because they have, been a bless, they have been a blessing for him in person. We bless others in person. Just like he's saying, since the beginning, right? Uh, it says that since the beginning they have been like this. For it is only right for me to feel, it says in verse 7, this way about you because I have been, I have been you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of the grace with me. God is my witness, and my witness how I long for you with my affection. And I pray this, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Out of love and gratitude. That's why. In Paul's case, they were a blessing to him while he was there. Lydia... The jailer, the little traffic girl, they, the believers in different ways were a blessing 
to Paul. So we could think of different ways that we could be a blessing to one another in person. You know, sometimes we don't know each other because we, well, because of COVID. Yeah, but, you know, COVID is going to end, Lord willing. I'm not a prophet, but I hope that very soon COVID is going to end. And we're going to have to restart our community groups. And the way we love each other, the way we know each other, is by being part of a community group. So I want to encourage you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would find ways to plug yourself into a community group. Because that's the way you're going to love each other. That's the way you're going to challenge each other. That's the way we really are going to be able to love one another joyfully as the Lord, as, as Paul is describing here. Now, check it the way he does it. The, the, Paul uses uh, deep affection. And, uh, you know, in, in, in Greek is enstlachnois Christu. Literally what it says is, I, I have you inside my entrails. No thank you. Right? But that's a way that he, as a Jewish, as a Jew, is telling, is communicating to a Greek audience how much he feels for them. And I don't know about you, but when I go to Six Flags and that thing starts... What do you feel here? Well, some of you are too callous now. You've been there too much. But anyway, but some of us there are still have feelings and senses and nerves. He goes, you feel how this is going, compressing and compressing and compressing and compressing. Why? Because that's where your emotions sit. And that's the way that the Jewish people would understand. So he's sensing, when I think of you, it's right here. It's in my heart. It's in my kidneys. It's in my liver. I love you. Some of you are going to say, that's gross. Well, uh, what he's saying is, I, say, I, de I feel deeply for you all. The only way that we could feel deeply for one another is when we know each other in that way. But for what? Okay, so he's, he's saying that he's praying for them, for all the saints, for all the elders. He's praying because he's very thankful in the way they are participating, not only when they were, he was there with them in Philippi, but even when he's been away. For 10 years, they've been supporting him, not only in prayer, but by sending money to them. And what is he praying for? He hasn't said so far what's the reason, what's the purpose of his prayer. That they may practice the word. That the Lord would accomplish his work in them. For I am confident of this thing. That he who is doing a good work in you will perfect it until the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know he's been telling how much. He's been describing how much they have loved him. They have cared for them. You think that at a moment he's going to say stop loving me. Please don't love me anymore. Don't love each other anymore. Verse 9. And this I pray. That your love may abound still. More and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So you think that he's happy with the way we're loving each other? The Philippians are loving each other? Yes, he is. 
but he's also trusting that we can love each other even better. And it begins at home. Sometimes men, when we are in the middle of the TV program, and here comes wifey and says, could you take the trash out? And at that moment you think, what? How dare you? I'm watching right now. This is my only time of peace. Guess what? Is the moment where you could show that your love abounds more and more. Children, how about when mommy says, could you empty the dishwasher? Could you clean your room? That's the moment when we could show and appreciate. And, and you know, listen to me, kids, young men and women. Have you thanked your parents to, this week for something they have done? No, really, really. Have you thanked them? Have you go to mom and dad and said, I really appreciate everything that you do for me? Because you know, can I tell you a secret? Sometimes mommy and daddy, they get tired. They get cranky sometimes because they're tired, but also because sometimes their job is not what they were expecting and life is not what they were expecting. And there's nothing that would light their hearts more than you coming to them at the end of today and say, mommy and daddy, you have no idea how much I thank the Lord for placing me in this family. What do you think that would cause that in your mom and dad? I want to encourage you one thing, young men and women and little children. Why don't you reject that spirit of entitlement that you have seen in other kids in your school? Oh. You didn't want to have children, right? You didn't, yeah, yeah. Reject that and embrace what God wants to do with you and through you. I'm too young. Exactly. You're young. And this is the moment where you could learn how to love your parents, how to pray for them, how to be thankful for them. Mamas. You could do the same for your children. Dads, you could do the same with your wife and your children. May we all be filled with love. May we all be able to discern wisely. Verse 10, it says, so that you may approve the things that are excellent. Because before in verse 9, it said, real knowledge and all discernment. Christian discernment is a decision-making process in which an individual makes discovery and can a discovery to lead to future action. The process of a Christian spiritual discernment, God guides the individual to help them arrive to the best decision possible. But what kinds of decisions? Well, number one, salvation. Discernment so that they could understand that they're sinners, that God loves them, that if they understand that and they believe that, they will have eternal life forever. That's the decision most important, number one. Number two, who are they going to be married to? You think that's an important decision? My in-laws are celebrating 57 years of being... Yeah, so 
You think that is important to know how many? Yeah, I think it's important to know, to discern. What career? You're going to be staring at a screen for 40 years. Or you're going to be doing the same work for 40 years. Rest assured, you better, you better believe that it's important to discern what is that you need to do. Friends, who you choose are your friends is going to be the, the, the difference between loving Christ or going, living Christ, walking away from it. Healthy choices. Hmm. Water or Coke. Hmm. Just to say a few. And after that, a, a tree is planted so that that tree would bear fruit. What kind of fruit is God? What kind of fruit is Paul expecting from the Philippian believers? And we could say by extension, what kind of fruit is God expecting from us? Verse 11, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Fruit like love Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Because against such things there is no law. And I conclude with three applications today. And some of you say, thank you, Lord. Because he went way above and beyond. First of all, I hope that you agree with me. And you say with me, I will pray this week for Pastor Mitch, his family, our elders, deacons, leaders, my family, etc. I will pray this week. Maybe, maybe you could even say, I'll pray this month. But just like what he's saying with Paul and what he's encouraging the Philippians to pray and be thankful for, that we would pray this week for Pastor Mitch, his family, elders, deacons, and, and leaders, and my own family. Number two. I will try to express my thankfulness to at least three people by the end of the day. People like our elders. People like the ones that are behind in, our, in the sound booth. Or the ones that are helping our children grow. Or the ones that are helping our youth grow. Or somebody in your life. Parents. Wife. Husband. Etc. I will tried to express my thankfulness to at least three people by the end of the day. Believe me, it, it doesn't have to stop in three. It could continue until we develop a spirit of thankfulness for the glory of God. And number three, I will pray for me to make every effort. So could you say that? I will pray for me. I'll pray for me to make every effort to fulfill God's purpose in me as it is described in verse 6. May the Lord fulfill His plan in my life. May the Lord fulfill His plan in your life. And as it says at the end of verse 11, for the glory and praise of God. Heavenly Father, we are here today thanking you because we will be challenged through this book. A book that encourages us to be united. A book that, that encourages us to be humble. A, big, a book that reminds us, Lord, that you have a purpose and you will see it to fruition in our lives. Help us to be people characterized by prayer, 
and characterized by thankfulness for your honor and your glory. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor.